leaders. Securing victory over sin, hell, and the grave. So God, we love you and we thank you for the gift of salvation. So as we come to your word. Thank you guys so much. We could give those guys a hand for leading us in worship this morning. If you have your Bible, I want you to open that to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. We spent four, three weeks in the book of Haggai with a short drop-off in the book of Jeremiah. Uh, But during that time, we looked at what it means to belong to God's certain and His unshakable kingdom. Uh, The story of Haggai is around 520 to 540 years before Jesus. So what takes place with this idea of God's unshakable kingdom and what can we understand as we move forward and understand what Jesus would have us to be and how Jesus would have us to look at what God has established in this world through what He, Christ, has provided. So if you're a note taker, I'm going to give you a breakdown of today's text. And, And here's what we see as we look at the Lord's Prayer, a prayer you should be familiar with. We see that the king is near. We see that the king deserves. We see the king directs. The king provides. The king forgives. The king expects. The king delivers. I'm going to give those to you one more time. Uh, The king is near. The king deserves. The king directs. The king provides. The king forgives. The king expects. And the king Delivers. All of this comes from a text that we, as followers of Jesus and people who are in some way, shape, or form familiar with what the church is, uh, we're going to look at a text that we're all pretty familiar with. There is a great chance that at some point in your life you have memorized this text. More than likely, you've memorized it in King Jimmy English. The text is one that all of us know. And if you're here regularly, we as a follower of the church say this to conclude many of our services. It is called the Lord's Prayer. As Jesus directs us how to pray and how to interact with God. And it's this huge prayer that depends on a huge God. So I want you to go with me in your Bible. I'm going to read this to us. From King James, which is what we quote at the end. And then I'm going to go back again afterwards and give it to you from the translation that I typically use, the Christian Standard Bible. So, here we go. Uh, From King Jimmy. After this, many therefore pray ye. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let me give that to you from Matthew chapter 6 in the Christian Standard Bible, where Jesus says this. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We're told how to pray. Now, we walk through the book of Haggai, and we've been given direction as we've spent time in that book, where God has said to those of us who are followers of Jesus, you are to do these things. Consider your ways. You are to take active steps to seek the presence of God. 
And when it is exhausting, God has given you the direction to keep going. And God has affirmed all of those things by saying, This is possible because my kingdom is unshakable. Consider your ways. Take active steps to seek the presence of God. And when everything is exhausting, you keep moving because I'm going to be there to keep you moving. And we see those ideas lining up with what we see here when Jesus says, Here's how I want you to pray. Because we as followers of Jesus should pray. One... uh, One scholar says this, We have been conditioned to believe that prayer must be accompanied by action, but prayer in God's economy is action. Another pastor says this, Prayer is a privilege that God gives His children. And as we read through this prayer, we see that Jesus is giving all of us, if we are believers in Him, a framework as to how we are to approach God, how we are to converse with God, what we are to say to God. Not everything that we should say, but He's saying, base everything around this. Because prayer starts with God. N.T. Wright, Anglican theologian, says this, Prayer that does not start with God is always in danger of concentrating on ourselves. And very soon it stops being prayer altogether and collapses into random thoughts, fears, and longings of our own minds. Who's ever been there? Who has ever started to pray and you realize the next thing you're doing is you're making a grocery list? We've seen it. We've felt it. You look at the text and you say the king is close to us. And that Jesus is saying, when you pray, I don't want you to think that you're talking into the abyss, into nothingness. As a matter of fact, you're talking to a God who cares for you and is near to you. So we look and it says, our Father in heaven. That God is near or the king is near. My, my boys, I have three boys and I have one little girl. Uh, And there are certain people that they have grown to love that I did not know existed. Most of them come from YouTube. You've more than likely heard of YouTube. It's your tube as well as it is my tube. And when we look into these characters, these people, some of them are guys they've discovered that have taught them numerous things. There are different people that they really like. They, they like to watch American Ninja Warrior. That's not on YouTube, but you can watch it there. If you've ever watched American Ninja Warrior, anybody, just me. Hey, one guy that they like is, is Daniel Gill. He lives in the Houston area. And, and there was a moment where I had Daniel FaceTime with my boys. And that was really cool. And, and they love that. There's another guy they love. His name is Coyote Peterson. If you are unfamiliar with Coyote Peterson, Coyote Peterson makes lots and lots of money by letting insects sting him. Strong insects, murder hornets, and terminator wasps, and all of the above. He, that, he is a very popular figure in the lives of children who, for whatever reason, keep going into nature. If I watched this myself, I would just stay home all the time. So, so we, these are two that they really do like to see, but their favorite. Their favorite YouTube show has been around forever. It it came out of Texas A&M, if I'm not mistaken. It's a group of guys, they're called Dude Perfect. And the Dude Perfect guys are pretty interesting. We were at a friend's house a few weeks ago, and I noticed that uh, we're having a conversation about what the boys like, and we start talking about Texas A&M, and the lady at the house is... As when the boys bring up the dude perfect guy, she said, oh, I was in their wedding. And it was overwhelming for my children. We, we, start, we start running around the house trying to find, and sure enough, there she was, standing beside the wife of the dude perfect. I, I don't know which dude it was, but she, they're getting married. And she said, do you want 
me to try to FaceTime him. And we all just froze. Of course we want you to FaceTime him. Now this person is a super duper uber star in the life of my children. And we're FaceTiming him and this person who is very far from them on my modest television is about to be near to them. We look at this text and we see that we are told about this God who we have come to know through the person of Jesus that He is far from us. And we never want to lose sight of the fact that God is distant. But this God is also near to us. Our Father. Huge phrase because we're using a couple of things. One, we're saying that we can have a possessive pronoun in relation to our relationship with God. God is not just out there. He is someone that belongs to us. And we can know that we belong to Him. This uh, brings up, if you have any understanding of the Old Testament, what, G, what we see God tells Moses at the Exodus. And it takes us back to where He calls Israel His firstborn. And you've got these Jewish followers of Jesus. These early disciples who've been taught the Torah. Who have understood what God is through this light. Hearing that when you talk to God... You can know that you belong our Father. He's not far away. He's near to you. God's not in the distance. He's in our midst. Our Father. And we are told to pray knowing that the far has become near. Not only we pray this possessively, we pray it publicly. That Jesus is saying we, when we use a phrase like our, we are enforcing this truth. That we are corporately saying that we believe that God is someone to whom we belong. He is mine, I am his. We belong to, I, I love him, he loves me. And we're called to pray this together corporately. And you notice that our Father is in heaven. So you have this intimacy where you're talking about your relationship with God as someone who is close to you, balanced by reverence. That we have a reverent view of the God that we meet in Scripture. Our Father in heaven, the King, is close to us. And because of His closeness, we see what He deserves from us. Your name be honored as holy. Your name, God's name, be honored and treated as if it is holy. So what does this say to us when you read it in the King James? And honestly, most of your translations, our translations, are going to use the word hallowed. We don't typically use the word hallowed. I'm not expecting you to use the word hallowed in casual conversation today at lunch. Maybe just to follow up with my sermon. But when we talk about the idea of hallowing the name of God, what is happening there? What is happening is you have the verbal form of holy. And we are seeing that if we are going to be in relationship with God, we are to direct our heart's attention to the fact that yes, He is near to us, but He is also supreme. That He is over things. Let's not take the name of God for granted. Our unique intimacy with God as followers of Jesus does not cancel out what reverence is. That we have a view of God that is shaped by what God has said about Himself. How casual is your interaction with God? 
we wonder a lot and we worry a lot what people outside of our faith say about God. I wonder how often we think about what we say about Him. We wonder as to the way that whatever we may be watching or reading, the way that it portrays God, do you ever consider how you're portraying God? Do you ever wrestle with what you were saying about God? Do you ever think in your heart of hearts, am I taking God for granted? Because one of the simplest errors that we can make is not just to overlook God or to scoff at God, but those things happen when we simply take Him for granted. And we see this passage giving us a framework as to how we're to interact with God. And it starts with this, your name is holy. John Piper says this, he's a pastor if you're unfamiliar. He lives in Minnesota. Uh, and, And Piper says this about the idea of the hallowing of the name of God. Every phrase in this passage from this point forward depends on that. Everything that will take place in the rest of this text is completely dependent upon us hallowing the name of God. Your kingdom come. Why would we want the kingdom of God to come? Because we believe that His name is altogether set apart and holy. God, we want to see Your will being done. Why would we want the will of God to be done? Because we believe that His name is to be set apart and holy, not taken for granted. So we're actively stepping in this direction. Give us our daily bread. God, we want you to provide for us. Why would I want you to provide for me? Because God, when you provide for me, I get to say another day that I believe that your name is holy. Over and over in this text, forgive us our debts. Why? Because when you forgive, when you forgive me, God, I'm able to declare that you are a holy God who is able to do that. As we forgive our debtors, God declaring to us that we are able to forgive others because he is a holy God who has spoken into our lives. Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. Because those are things that God has set apart from the holiness of God. The idea that we would live as if His name is holy. The king deserves His name to be hallowed. Next, we see that the king directs. Your kingdom come. This is not, we've got to be careful with words like this. This is not Jesus saying to us when you pray, pray that God's kingdom would come into existence. God's kingdom exists. This is us praying that we would actively align ourselves with God's kingdom purpose and principle so that God's kingdom becomes more clear to those who are not part of it. You've probably heard of a push-up. I don't like them. I like those orange ones like you keep in the freezer. Uh, those are good. But if you've ever done... I don't like the exercise. I don't like sit-ups. I think abs are cool. I would just like to have one. I don't care where it's at. Uh, but Like on my shoulder. But like a parrot. Uh, when you begin to consider exercise, what is taking place there? There is something that is there that is to become more obvious. 
The people of God are to align ourselves with what God would have us to do and how God would have us to live and what God would have us to be so that His kingdom becomes more obvious to those who interact with us. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So just simply put, God wants the people who belong to Him to do what they know. Because we don't just say things with our mouth. When we pray, we're, we're praying to mean things with our minds. It's easy for us to read this passage, and especially in the, the translation that we're most familiar with, and begin to run through the words of it with no meaning to it. Because the Bible's been memorized, it's not been personalized. We do that with lots of verses that we, that we remember. We have them. We've hidden them in our heads. We've not hidden them in our hearts. The passage is pointing out to me and to you that God would have us to mean things that we say. And then when we would say to God, we want your kingdom to come, we realize that we are part of that. That we are declaring that. That we are pushing through with that. That we're the people of God, and because we are God's people, we want what God would have for the world to be shown in us. For, for us to say that your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. For the believer in Jesus, and I don't know that you're all believers, I don't know anything about most of you. But for the believer, the glory and the beauty of what heaven is should be lived out by those who say they follow Jesus. Because the king has directed that. Next, we see that the king provides, give us today our daily bread. This is not a prayer for bountiful pantries or bigger barns. This is us saying, God, I depend on you. Now, now I know that we depend on God in theory. If you're showing up in the midst of a pandemic, more than likely you would tell me you depend on God. But when we consider the idea of taking God for granted that we talked about earlier. How often do we take for granted his very provision for us? For the majority of us, let's just go there. Since we're talking about bread. For the majority of us, you never wonder if you will eat. We wonder what we will eat. There's no point this morning where I thought to myself, will I have a meal today? Look at me. I'm going to have lots of meals today. We wonder what. Will I go to Popeye's? Will I go to Whataburger? I won't go to Chick-fil-A. <laughs> Jesus, who is our King in the flesh, is directing us to pray. With the current moment in mind. Give me my daily bread, God. If you don't give me what I need today, I cannot even think about tomorrow. This provision goes beyond food. This is just the world that Jesus lives in. Give me my... God, God provide for me. I don't want to take you for granted. I don't want to take your provision for me for granted. But Jesus wants us to live in this constant state of dependence on God, our King, and His ability to provide for us. Now, now we're really... We are clever 
in the way that we talk about God's provision. Have you really ever considered, have I ever considered, that yes, God provides everything that I have to the point where I thank Him for the job that I have. That I'm grateful that I'm even employed. That I don't overlook the fact that I am employed because He's given that to me. That my education that God has given me was from Him. That everything that I have, every breath that I took as I took that education in was given to me by God. There is nothing that you have that is not given to you by the hand of God. Everything is from Him. Give us our daily bread. God, I depend on you for the next moment, much less the next minute. The king provides. Next week is the king forgives. I, I love this. Jesus says this as he tells us to pray. We're continuing in this prayer. And forgive us our debts. Why in the world do we need to have a conversation about the forgiveness of debt? In every other religion, every action... Your poor actions, they carry unbreakable consequences. But here's the beauty. For the believer in Jesus, though our actions matter deeply, what you do matters. Not only is forgiveness a possibility, but through Jesus it can be an actuality. Forgiveness is something that you don't have to want. It's something that you can know. For the believer, actual forgiveness becomes a reality. For the one who does not believe, our God is good and pure, and that forgiveness is a possibility. So forgiveness is something that God has provided and has made possible for all of us. For those of us who are in Jesus, we should be wanting to know His forgiveness. Because when we know His forgiveness, we are not forsaking His presence. And for those who do not know who God is, as God stirs your heart... God moves in you. He's saying to you that his forgiveness is possible. Jesus is making clear that believers will need to be in conversation with him about their sins regularly. The sins of taking him for granted. The sins of commission. That that's what we do. The things that we omit. The things that we don't do. Because the king forgives. But not only does the king forgive you, the king expects forgiveness from you. Now this is where this gets problematic for us and tricky. Because I love forgiveness. I like wrath for you. When you wrong me, I I want you to be dealt with. Mercy for me, justice for you. Right? That's how we want people to be dealt with. Now for me, I I want everyone to be treating me correctly all the time. To consider my motives and to think that I have the best intentions in mind and I just maybe stumbled into a, a poor decision. But for you, I cannot believe you would cut me off in traffic. No one cuts me off in traffic. When you don't have a bumper, people don't get near you in traffic. <laughs> we have forgiven our debtors As a matter of fact, the way the original language of this text lays out tells us the disciple is supposed to pray for forgiveness after having expressed forgiveness to other people. Why? Because that's practicing what we preach. That's modeling this conversation. I know I'm supposed to forgive others. And if I don't forgive others, how can I really... How can I really resonate in the forgiveness that God has given me? How can I not take God's forgiveness for granted if I can't forgive someone else? 
Jesus goes further and he explains it in verse 14 and 15. For if you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive your offenses. Jesus is pretty big on us forgiving people who wrong us. Are we big on forgiving people who have wronged us? Finally, see this. That the king, he delivers. He delivers. Lead us not into temptation. 13. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. When this wraps up and comes to its conclusion, we still know that stressors are there. That we are going to face hardships. That there are going to be difficulties. And there are going to be things that we would want to do that we know we should not do. And Jesus is saying, so when you pray, when, when you, look, I'm modeling what you do and how, how you interact with me. When you pray, you ask God, God, I, I don't want to be tempted. Now we see God tests in the Bible, Satan tempts. So God, I don't want to go into temptation. I don't want to give into that. I don't want to fall into that. But God, ultimately, my deliverance is dependent on you. I need you to deliver me. You to carry me through. You to move me from where I am to where you would have me to be. Because God, my heart, I'm tempted to not forgive. God, I'm tempted to take you for granted. God, I'm tempted to overlook your holiness. God, I'm tempted to depend on myself and not on you. God, I'm tempted to overlook the importance of your forgiveness. God, I am regularly tempted to ignore you altogether. And when Jesus says this, delivering us from the evil one, it's much more than a phrase in this passage. It's the heart of it. It's the hope of it. God, I need you in all of these things. Are we talking to God like this? Because Jesus has given us a structure as to how to pray. And it doesn't have to be the exact same words. You don't have to say this every time you pray. But the idea of honoring and acknowledging God before you consider yourself, that, that should probably be there all the time. And by probably, I mean it should. For me too. It's so simple though. When things aren't going my way... And, for me just to begin to beg God, God do this, God do that, God do this, God do that, and never consider the idea that I've been called to hallow his name. Never think about the fact that he's the one that delivers me. It's us acknowledging God for who he is. The King James Version says this, For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. It shows us that it all culminates in him. It's a closing realization of our utter helplessness apart from God. For these things to happen, God has to do them. And that's, that is a magnificent truth for us as believers in Jesus. God, I'm, I'm going to line my life up. I'm going to structure my thoughts. I'm going to push forward. God, but I need you to do these things because if you don't do anything, nothing's happening. God, I need you. It's this holy dependence. It's this... It's a dependence where we're committing ourselves to this kingdom that we're part of. So, so here's what I want us to do. I, I want you, possibly, just to, to bow your head. And... But I don't want you to close your eyes because if you've got something to interact with, that would be helpful. Maybe a, a, something to write on. Maybe if you're not a writer, maybe you take out the notes app in your phone. Okay, let's, let's just do this together. The band's going to get in place. That's okay.
And because this is not something that we simply memorize, but it's something that we are to personalize, I'm going to walk through these phrases, and I'm going to encourage you as I walk through them in your own interaction. Just to structure a prayer in regard to your view of God based on what He's told us here. And I'll walk you through it and you interact with it as you see fit because you know you way better than I do. Our Father. So, so maybe just you start, we'll start simple. Maybe you write down my Father. Or you type out my Father. Is that something that you believe to be true? Is God your Father? Meaning you've trusted in what Christ has done for you. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. What does it mean? So, so, so do this. I want you to begin to think through and type out words or write down words where you actively hallow the name of God. Names that speak to God's magnificence. Name, words that speak to God's grandeur. Words that speak to God's personal meaning to you. I want you to write those things there. Put those things down. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As I ask you to interact with the Lord, where this is our basis, I... consider where you have been given opportunity to display the kingdom of God in your daily lives. Where you go to work, where you go to school, where you shop. Are you kingdom? Are you giving kingdom perspective? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. out, write down a couple of phrases where you're taking steps towards seeing God's will being done in your daily lives. Give us our daily bread, Jesus says. Take a moment and thank God for His provisions for you. And think about the things that He provides that you don't even think about usually.
Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Have you interacted with the Lord as a believer about things where you need to be forgiven? Secondly, are you taking steps to forgive those who hurt you, who wrong you, who mistreat you? Do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. What is coming up that you know is going to be a struggle for you? And what are you doing to prepare yourself for that struggle? So we're going to take a couple of moments and I want you to pray through that. What you've just written down, thought And we'll sing together in a moment. But I would encourage you to take this time to actively interact with the Lord. If you have questions about any of this, I'll be at the back right hand corner of the room. And Jerry will take us into song in just a moment.